0: boys and girls 2 the podcast on monday the 3rd of january the first podcast of 2022 we're brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider that's a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location access whatever it is you're geo blocked from be it american netflix bbc iplayer itv hub whatever it is libertyshield.com can get you your access and keep your data safe check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPL599 to get your first month for one quid 6 dollars thereafter but there's no commitment no contract first month for one quid EPL599 instant download to your devices and away you go check out libertyshield.com We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops. You'll find them on Etsy. Use the code EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. I hope you all had a tremendous New Year's. But the fun's over now. We're back to real business. Um, I'm going to start. Before we get into the games of the weekend, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. (laughs) It's just something funny that happened over the weekend. Um, So, Ricardo Pepe, young American player uh, for FC Dallas, has been linked with a bunch of Bundesliga clubs, some Premier League clubs, some La Liga clubs. He is moving to Augsburg. A journalist called Chris Smith, who writes for 90minute.com covering the MLS. He broke the news. He was meant to go to Wolfsburg. Last minute, Augsburg jumped in, bigger offer, and secured the deal. Chris Smith breaks the news. A few minutes later, someone else decides that they're breaking the news. Exclusive. Ricardo Pepe to Augsburg. Exclusive. After this other person has broken the story. Comes exclusive. So. Seeing this and being. You know the concerned citizen that I am. I screenshotted both. And sent out a tweet. Suggesting that. Somebody was up to their old tricks. Of stealing. A story that wasn't theirs to steal. About two hours later. I get a DM. Hello mate. Want to see my WhatsApp. Where I've all the details. Of Pepe's story. Since three hours it was agreed to proceed like this. And I'm a big friend with Chris. So before before accusing people, try to know what happens. Let me know if you want to see the messages. I've got no problem to show you. And in the next 24 to 48 hours, you'll see exclusive picks too with Ricardo in Germany. So, first of all, This person is such a big friend of Chris Smith that he followed him on Twitter after I sent my tweet out. Secondly, he's such a big friend that rather than credit him in his tweet about the story, he wrote exclusive. Thirdly, want to see my WhatsApp? Do you think WhatsApp screen grabs are evidence of anything? I can change Guy Drinkle's name in my phone to Barack Obama. Send a few tweets to Guy, have him send me a few back, screen grab it and say, look, lads, I've been talking to Barack Obama on WhatsApp. Do you think I don't know that you've got multiple phones with which... You set up these fake WhatsApp names and send tweets back and forth between these phones so that you can show your evidence. Do you think I don't know that? Do you think I haven't asked people who've worked with you what it is that you do? You've got six million followers on Twitter. And you're searching your own name. Imagine how. Fragile your ego must be. Six million followers. And you're searching. Your own name. And the person in question. Is of course. Fabrizio Romano. Six million followers. Searches his own name. Offers fake WhatsApp pictures. Lies about a bit of friendship. And then says. After this he sends me another DM. About 10 minutes later. If you click the article from 90 Minutes. Again. They're friends and I respect the work. Now first of all nobody really respects 90 Minutes work. Let's be fair about that. They also say. We confirm Fabrizio Romano. Information on 20 million free. And all details. So. Here's how this bit works. You have 6 million followers. You have credibility because you have 6 million followers. Not because your actual work is credible, but because your following is credible. And their hope was that by putting your name in their story after the fact, by the way, not at the time, hours after the fact, that you would retweet that story, which... You haven't done so much for your being big friends. You're not promoting your friends' work. Because there's people I'm loosely associated with. But if they're trying to get ahead in their chosen profession, and I'm standing on top of the world, I'll retweet the life out of everything they do. Absolutely everything. Back in the good times when podcasts were booming, when we were doing 150,000 200,000 listens every single show on Anfield Index, if anybody started a new podcast, we'd retweet the life out of it to help them out. That's how I met Guy Drinkle. Because that's what you do. You look after others. You don't try and push people down you raise them all up and by doing that you'll actually elevate yourself even further but that's not you you're not about that you're about stealing other people's work for britzio and don't think that by sending me dms you're going to intimidate me that's not me right folks that's out of the way um on the weekend's games. Right. Let's start with the most controversial game of the weekend. Arsenal 1. Manchester City 2. A lot has come out about this game. A lot of complaints from Arsenal fans. From neutrals in general. Arsenal have gotten a lot of credit for this game. And rightly so in, in many regards. The first half. Arsenal were outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Bakayo Saka put them one up on 31 minutes. Really well-worked team goal and a great finish. They were causing City all kinds of problems with Saka and Martinelli down the wings. Odegaard floating in the number 10 position. Thomas Partey dominating the game in the middle of the park. They were really good for the first half. And all credit to them. And I tweeted at time. It's probably the best half of football we've seen from Arsenal since Arteta took over. But they've played well so far this season in halves and not sustained it. Tottenham, Leicester. And what happened? Well, 12 minutes into the second half. Granite Jacket brings down Bernardo Silva in the penalty area. People have said it's a soft penalty. And it's it's a little bit soft. But there's contact twice. Number one, he does make contact to Bernardo's legs with his leg. And he does pull his shirt. He's pulling his shirt the whole time. But it's more of a pronounced pull after the contact with the legs as he turns to try and avoid him. Bernardo goes down. I think it's a penalty Mara steps up and scores. Now, Arsenal fans are griping about the penalty. You don't really have a gripe on this one. There is another penalty incident in the game where Odegaard goes into the box. Ederson comes across. And he does catch Odegaard. It's right on the edge of the box. And it could very well have been a penalty. What I will say is that Odegaard does put his foot down almost as if he's looking for the contact. Now, the contact happens, so it could very well have been a penalty. I don't know that I'm overly furious either way about it. If it was against my team, though, I probably would be. So I can see why Arsenal fans are up in arms. Now. There's no gripe to be had about the Mara's penalty, which takes, by the way, an inordinate amount of time for them to make a decision on. While the referee is checking with the VAR about this penalty, Aaron Ramsdale is standing on the penalty spot, scuffing it. When the decision is made and everybody comes back across, Gabriel scuffs the penalty spot. Now, he does very little to it. The referee sees him do it, looks at the spot and books him. But he's booking him because of the damage that Ramsdale did, not because of what Gabriel himself did. He just doesn't know that Ramsdale has done this. He thinks Gabriel's done it all. So he books him. Mahrez scores, game starts on again. And two minutes later, Gabriel commits another yellow card offence. Second yellow card, and he's off. And again, Arsenal fans are up in arms. Now, I think that the scuffing one is harsh, but it's Aaron Ramsdale's fault, not Gabriel's, not the referee's. The penalty spot looks like someone has hacked it with a golf club. Because of what Aaron Ramsdale did, Gabriel got punished. Second yellow card is absolutely yellow card. Now, I saw, and this person should know better, somebody who works for Opta tweeting out that Arsenal had four yellow cards and a red for 11 fouls or something yesterday, or on Saturday. So, first of all, they didn't. First of all, they had... 13 fouls and four yellows. And then a fifth yellow, which led to a red. Sorry, that's what it was. It was five yellows and a red that he said, but they didn't. The red is a result of the fifth yellow. It's not an additional card. He's had two yellows. He hasn't had two yellows and a red. Xhaka was rightly booked. For the penalty. Gabrielle was booked. For scuffing the ground. So one of the bookings. The four bookings. Sorry the five bookings. Wasn't for a foul. So they've had four bookings. For 13 fouls. That's about one every three. That's not bad. Now City. Did commit some strange fouls in the game, but were only blown for five of them. City were only punished for five fouls. They got two yellow cards in the game. None of their yellow cars, cards were for any fouls. And S- Arsenal fans have again taken umbrage with this, saying that Rodrigo got away with 20 fouls. Well, he, he couldn't have. Because as a team, they were only punished five times. Rodri was booked for taking his shirt off and celebrating, scoring the winner, which he managed in the 93rd minute. Simple ball into the box. Arsenal did an Arsenal, fell apart, were unable to cope. Ball bounces free to Rodri and he he finishes past Ramsdale. Gives Ramsdale no chance, really. Um, So Rodri's booked for that. Bernardo Silva had been booked er earlier for kicking the ball away, or might have been after that. For kicking the ball away in a free kick, it was a similar enough period of time. Um, so, yeah, I can see it was actually just after that. It was two minutes later, Bernardo was booked from for kicking the ball away as Arsenal tried to take a quick free kick. I can see why Arsenal fans are annoyed that City didn't have any bookings given for the five fouls that they committed. But I don't think they've been massively wronged other than maybe the penalty. Other than maybe the penalty, I don't think City have been massively wronged. Arsenal were the masters of their own demise. Like, let's stop pretending that this isn't an Arsenal thing to do. To be one up and then throw it all away. Yes, they played very well in that first half. But they lost. I mean, we saw Ollie's United beat City. You know? We've seen Arteta beat a title-winning Liverpool. One-off game, get your tactics right a certain way, can happen. But Arsenal yesterday, or Saturday rather, just couldn't keep their focus. And Granite Xhaka did a very, very Granite Xhaka thing. It's as simple as that. He did something that Granite Xhaka always does, which is let the team down. We can't be surprised that Granite Xhaka has once again let Arsenal down. Because he's done it routinely throughout his career. Next game. Watford nil, Tottenham 1. This felt harsh on Watford because they've done really well to just kind of cling in and not completely capitulate. They had a couple of half-decent chances. They themselves have a couple of gripes about the referee, though I'm not sure there's a whole lot and much. Bar the Joe Pedro incident where he did get through and was about to shoot um, before the referee called it back for a free kick. But the first half, I mean, Watford barely left their own half. They couldn't get out of their own penalty box. At one point, every Spurs player was within 40 yards of the Watford goal, bar Larice, who was stood about 15 yards inside his own half. Like Eric Dyer was 35, 40 yards from the Watford goal. That's how pinned back they had them. The problem for Spurs is that they just couldn't get their final ball right. It's that simple. They just could not get their final ball right. They had so many great opportunities to get that ball into the box to Kane and Son. And they just made the wrong decision or... ...mishit the pass, overhit the cross, whatever it was. Spurs did keep going. They did keep working. And they got their... They got their reward. The game had been stopped... On about 87 minutes. Could have been earlier than that. Could have been 84 minutes. Uh, After an incident in the stand. Where a fan collapsed. And the medics rushed across. And uh, to my knowledge the fan is okay. So that's great. But the game was stopped. And when it restarted. The clock said 93. And the referee was adding 8 minutes. Of added time. So. So. We were looking at 100 more minutes before this game was going to be over. On 96 minutes, Kuka gives away a stupid free kick. No reason to make the challenge. heung Son, it is an absolute dream of a ball into the box. And Davinson Sanchez is like three yards out. Heads past the keeper. It's a sensational cross for some. Absolutely phenomenal. And Spurs were worthy winners of this game. There's no doubt Spurs were worthy winners of this game. And Spurs are now sixth in the table. Two points behind Arsenal with a game in hand. Sorry, with two games in hand. And they play Arsenal next. So if they beat the Gunners at their own stadium, the Tottenham Stadium, they'll be a point ahead with two games in hand. This is what I've been saying by I don't put any trust into Arsenal's fourth place. Tottenham were awful under Nuno, absolutely dreadful. And yet they're only two points behind this Arsenal team. I think Tottenham look the best bet to finish fourth right now. They've got the best manager. Outside of the top three. And I think he's a better manager than Tuchel as well. They've got the two best players. Outside of the top three. In Kane and Son. I don't think anyone else. At any of the other clubs. Is as good as those two. I think they'll. They'll do some business in January. And I would back Tottenham to finish fourth. Moving on. This was a cracker. Crystal Palace 2, West Ham 3. Palace should have been one-up very, very early. Jeff Schlupp hits the post when he really should do better. And Palace had started the game quite well. But West Ham grew into it. And Mikel Antonio puts home an absolute peach of it. It's a brilliant ball from Ben Rama. Just bending and dipping... Defender can't do anything about it. Antonio sneaks in and finishes past Gaeta. Really, really impressive goal. Brilliant ball. I, I, genuinely a brilliant ball from Gaeta. Three minutes later, Lanzini makes it too with a, a brilliant goal of his own. Declan Rice carries the ball into space. Nobody closes him. You could tell in this moment, if no other, how much Palace were missing Conor Gallagher, because Gallagher would have been snapping at his heels trying to take that ball off him, but Jeff Schlupp was nowhere to be seen. Rice drives about 40 yards and nobody comes to meet him. Plays a simple ball across. Lanzini, great first touch, good second touch, incredible third touch, and finishes with Absolute brilliance. It's a tremendous goal. It really is. There were some sensational goals scored this weekend. And we're going to come to some more of them. But this was absolutely brilliant. The finish by Lanzini was immense. West Ham went three up in stoppage time at the end of the first half. Lanzini from the penalty spot. After just a brainless, brainless handball. By Luka Milivojevic. Absolutely brainless. I'm not sure what it was he was thinking. But he handles right inside his own penalty box. When there's nobody around him. No pressure on the ball at all. Like if you thought you weren't going to be able to control it on your chest as it dropped. Head it. Don't handle it. It's definitely a penalty, it's the right decision and West Ham are three up, but the three does flatter them a little bit because Palace weren't playing badly. Palace took too long to get back into it. Elise came off the bench and made an immediate difference. I mean, he was once he came on. You could tell that he was adding a new dimension to this Crystal Palace team he makes the first cuts inside sensational ball into the box and Edward gets to the end of it and knocks it past Fabianski, good goal Elise on 90, it's a free kick it's one of those where it's a cross but if no one gets a touch on it, it's going in the back post, Ryan Giggs was brilliant at these Juan Mata's done a few of them as well. It, it tends to be left-footers. That ball from a certain angle that's whipped at a certain trajectory where the keeper can't get to it because there's too many bodies in, in the way, and he can't gamble on diving for it in case someone gets a touch. In this case, no one gets a touch. It's in at the far post. It's brilliant for Elise, And he is going to be a huge... Huge player for Crystal Palace, I have no doubt. Mateta almost grabbed an equaliser at the death. Schluck ball into the box. It's an attempted overhead kick. It would have been goal of the season contender if it goes in. But unfortunately, it goes wide. Big win for West Ham. Disappointing loss for Palace. But look, Palace are 11th. They've got 23 points. If you offered them that at the start of the season after 20 games, they'd have snapped your hand off. They're 12 points clear of the relegation zone. Palace would have taken this at the start of the season, guaranteed. And yes, if the teams below them win their games in hand, they'll drop quite a bit. But, but, the bottom line is, They're 12 points clear of Burnley, as things stand. That's all they can do, is put big gaps between themselves and the bottom three. The only mandate for Palace this year is stay in the division. West Ham are fifth, one point behind Arsenal, same number of games played. They've had their little wobble, back-to-back wins now. I would back them to finish above Arsenal as well. That was it for Saturday, just the three games, into Sunday. And every one of these games on on the Sunday, all four of them, had at least one worldie. Every one of them. Brentford 2, Aston Villa 1. Villa go one up. brilliant work from Buendia in the middle of the park, plays a nice one-two with Douglas Louise, gets the ball back, does a pirouette, and releases Danny Ings in between the defenders. Ings runs onto it, left-footed shot across the keeper into the far corner. Excellent goal. Excellent, excellent goal. Brilliant from Buendia. This is what Villa bought him for. On 42 minutes, Johan Visa scores a sensational goal ball is played across to him. It's a difficult ball to control. His first touch is out of this world. And with this first touch, he doesn't stop the ball. He just kills the pace on it. The ball continues to just travel just enough in front of him off his right-footed touch to place it perfectly for his left foot to bend it into the far corner past Emmy Martinez, from the edge of the box. This is a magnificent goal. And this kid is looking like a real player. Now, he's had some injury issues. If he can stay fit, I think he's going to be a gem. He's 25. He scored six goals for Brentford already in 14 games, three in the Premier League in 11 games, but they're not 11 starts. I think he's been excellent. Genuinely. I think he's been absolutely excellent. Now, I don't know. Are they going to the AFCON, Democratic Republic of Congo? Let me check that. If he's gone to the AFCON, that's going to be a big blow for them. Um... No, no, Democratic Republic of Congo are not in the AFCON this year, so it doesn't look like they lose him. That is huge for them. Um, and if when Embomo comes back, if he can get his act together, if they can play those three up front, that could be something worth watching. Mbomo on the right, Tony to the middle, and on the left, that would be something worth keeping an eye on. Um this was a fairly stale game from there on. Second half, there was a lot of poor football played. But Mads Rorself, Rorslev? Rorslev, uh gets the winner on 83 minutes. His first shot is saved by the keeper. It gets back to him. And he finishes past Martinez to give Brentford a big, big win. And Brentford are now 12th, leveling points with Palace. But they do have a game in hand. And again, if you'd given them this to the start of the season... They would have taken it. Villa are 13th, a point behind Brentford. That's three defeats in the last four, and four defeats in Steven Gerrard's eight games in charge. Now, three of them were City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. So you can't excuse them, though the manner of the Chelsea one was, wasn't was great. Now, Gerrard wasn't there for that one, but still. Um... The honeymoon man and new manager bounce seems to be over. So the hard work really does start now for Gerard. Villa have lost 11 games this season. Only two teams, Watford and Norwich, have lost more. They've only drawn once this season. Everyone else other than Watford have drawn more games. Luckily for them, they've managed to win seven, which is really impressive. They're the only team in the bottom half with seven wins. And Brighton, who are an eighth, only have six, but Brighton have nine draws on only four defeats. Villa have the ability to win games because they've got a lot of good players. But Gerrard has a lot of work to do. Uh, a bit of Villa news. Axel Tunzebe, uh his loan at Aston Villa is over. And he looks like he's on his way to Napoli on loan for the rest of the season. Um, I think Villa made a mistake with him. I think he should have been playing a lot more. United recalled him because he wasn't getting the minutes. And um, yeah, it looks like he is. he is on his way. Nine Premier League appearances this season. Not all of them starts. Dean Smith did try the back three for a little while, but that didn't work out all that well. Um this was a loan with an option for a second year. Yeah. Such is life. Such is life. Off he goes. Best to look at Napoli. I think he'll do quite well in Syria. Um Leeds three, Burnley one. Two worldies in this game. So the first goal, Jack Harrison has a good shot saved by Wayne Hennessy. I'm not sure how the second attempt gets by Hennessy. It's a mishit, scuffed, bobbler. And Hennessy's just all over the place, lying on the floor. Um, no Nick Pope, obviously, for for Burnley at the moment. Currently equalised, Max Cornet brought on at half time. He's away off to the AFCON today. So I, I'm not sure why he didn't start this one, but only came at half time and produces an absolute gem. An absolutely sensational goal. A free kick from the edge of the penalty area. Well, actually, not even the edge of the penalty area. He's a good 26, 27 yards out. And it's an absolute belter. Just bends it with pace. Keeper gets absolutely nowhere near it. Sensational goal. He's got five goals in nine appearances for Burnley. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he scored a normal goal yet. Every one of them has been at least really impressive. Really impressive to worldy. That's the Max Cornet kind of scale at the moment. Um, Burnley paid, what, 13, 14 million for him looking like a great piece of business. They need to do a bit more in this transfer window, though. Uh, Leeds would come back, and Stuart Dallas would score a quality goal of his own, driving forward, taking a shot from the edge of the box. James Tarkovsky almost got to him to block it, but into the top corner it went. Daniel James on 92. A brilliant cross by Joe Gellhart. Uh, James's header is saved by Hennessy, but manages to bounce up in the air and drop and bounce in. A freak-looking goal, but a great cross from Gellhart that made it. Uh, Huge win for Leeds. Feels like a massive, massive win. They'd lost their last three. They were winless in in four or five going into this one. This feels like a massive win. Now, their defence is still a train wreck, but they do have some attacking talent, and they're going to start getting players back I thought Lorente and Robin Cock looked quality as a pairing at the back yesterday. Um, first time Leeds have looked even half decent defense, defensively for most of the season. Um, Leeds have 19 points. Now, they are only 16th in the league, but they're eight points clear of Burnley. Burnley do have two games at hand, but one of them is... One of them spurs, I can't remember who the other one is. It could be Arsenal or somebody. But either way, it's a tough game. Leeds have an eight-point cushion. And I think that, fit, that felt like a big win for them. They've still got a lot of work to do. But at least they know if they can repeat the 19 points that they've taken from their first 19 games across their second 19 games, they will stay up. 38 points will definitely keep you up this season because the bottom four, Watford, Burnley, Newcastle, Norwich, are so bad. For Burnley, it's a disappointing one. Still only one win this season. 18th, 11 points, two points behind Watford, but they do have a game in hand. Defensively, they're, they're still pretty good. I mean... Only Brentford in the bottom half has a better defensive record than them. And they've conceded the same amount of goals as West Ham, who are in fifth. The problem is they can't score goals. Only Wolves and Norwich have scored less. Mo Salah has scored as many goals as Burnley in the Premier League, uh, which hilariously means he scored double the amount that Norwich have scored. Uh, we'll move on. To Everton two, Brighton three. So Rafa went with a back three in this one, which was, was a little bit different. And um it it didn't it didn't work. It didn't work. Brighton went one up from Alexis McAllister on three minutes. It's a simple ball into the box, a great layoff by Neil Mope. McAllister times his run perfectly and scores on twenty one it's two nil. Dan Byrne, who's six foot seven, left completely unmarked at the back post. Cross comes in from the left hand side. There's a flick on. And Michael Keane, who's marking Dan Byrne, just walks away. Just ambles away from him. Bizarre defending. He hadn't covered himself in glory in, in glory on the first one. This was shambolic from Michael Keane. Um, And it is 2-0. Everton get a chance to come back into the game. They win a penalty. Dominic Calvert-Lewin back in the team. Steps up. He couldn't make it up. He's just back. He's looking confident and he sends it over the bar. Um, Anthony Gordon did drag... Everton back into the game in the second half on 53. Uh, he scores the first. Alexis McAllister scores an absolute worldie on 71. It's a great little layoff. I think it was Mwepu laid it off to him on the edge of the box. First time, pings in the top corner. Sensational goal. And another worldie on this day. And then uh, five later, it's another goal for Anthony Gordon. Um, his first one might not be given to him when they review it I think it gets reviewed today by the dubious goals panel Um because it took a big deflection off Lallana but this one was definitely him this was a was an impressive goal he was the only thing good about Everton in this game but the funny thing is they could easily have snatched a draw they could easily have snatched a draw but how bad must your defensive work be if Brighton are scoring three Brighton have scored 20 goals all season. 20. Southampton have the same and only Newcastle, Burnley, Wolves and Norwich have scored less. Mo Salah is closing in on Brighton's goal tally for the season. Um, Brighton, 8th in the league, 27 points. They definitely would have taken this pre-season. They definitely would have taken this preseason. You'd like to see them score more goals, but defensively, they're very good. They don't give away much. And they've, you know, they've now won two from three, having not won a game for three months. They didn't win from mid-September to the end of December. And now they've won two from three. Uh, Everton, 15th, 19 points. It's not good. The mood in the camp is awful. The mood the fans is awful. But on the plus side, they're improving their team in the transfer market. So far, Michael has been unveiled. And he looks a very, very good player. He He's probably more naturally the left-footed one in a back three. But... He is a left-back is where he plays. Sorry, he's he's probably more suited to being a left-back than three, but he is uh, he does play left-back. Anyway, um, they've got him in the door. That's going to help at left-back, especially if they're moving Dina on. And they've also made a move for Nathan Patterson of Rangers. And it looks like that deal is going to get done as well. Uh, A fee that could rise to $16 He's a huge talent. And I've seen some people dismiss it and say, oh, he doesn't even start for Rangers. Rangers captain is their right back. He's also their penalty taker and their set-piece taker. So Tavanier starts, but Patterson has been really impressive whenever he's been given a chance. I think he could play right side of a three long term, but he is a right back. And I think he's going to be a very good one. Um, so I like what Everton have done here. If they move Digne on and get 35 million or so, which is the mooted price, then they'll have improved both. They'll have improved their team, I think. So I don't think the drop off from Michael Enk, from Digne to Michaelenko was massive. Digne is much better going forward. Michaelang is much better defensively, and Patterson is going to be an improvement on what they've had at right back this year. So I think in the aggregate they'll be ahead, and it won't have cost them anything. I think that's clever. I do think it's clever. Now Rafa Benitez is probably coming under fire, and I can kind of understand why. But let's wait until he has a full team again. Like there's there's definitely signs of something at Everton. Like I. You, You guys that listen to me know I don't rate Pickford. But Pickford and goal. Patterson right back. Michaelenko left back. I think that's decent. Godfrey is one of the centre-backs. If he could ever stay fit. Mina as the other. But they do ideally need to buy a centre-back. Alan and Dukuri in midfield. Maybe you go Gordon and Gray as wide players. And then Richarlison off Calvert Loon. Like, that's a pretty decent team to me. Against some teams, you're going to need to bring in a third midfielder. So you leave out uh, maybe Gordon, you push Gray into a front three, and you bring in Gabarman or you bring in Andre Gums. And, and that's decent. Like, I think theres they're getting close to something in Everton. Centre-back is a big, big need. But I I don't think it's this tragic mess that some people are making it out to be. I think they've had some really poor performances. They've been decimated by injuries. Absolutely decimated by injuries. Like, you even take a look at premierinjuries.com today, and they're still without Richarlison, Delph, Davies, Branthwaite, Mina, and Townsend. Richarlison, Mina, and Townsend would be starting for them right now. And Delph, Davies, and Brantwick would be valuable depth options. They don't have these things. They'll get Richarlison back in the middle of January. He's probably back for the next league game, actually. And then let's see where they are. Let's see where they are from there. Let's move on. Liverpool 2, Chelsea 2 at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Liverpool went 2-0 up. I've discussed this on the Daily Red on Anfield Index. So if you want to hear me rant and rave about Jordan Henderson just being absolutely appalling, go there and do that. Uh, But here we go. Sadio Mane puts Liverpool 1-0 up on nine minutes. Mane could well have been sent off after about seven seconds um, after his forearm caught. Aspilicueta in the face. But what I will say is if that's a red card, then so are the Mason Mount and Kai Havertz ones. The Mount one is actually worse, um, but the, the Havertz one is basically the exact same thing as what, what Manny did. So if that's a red card, they should have been red cards. Anyway, manny puts Liverpool one up. Uh, I've called him Nathaniel twice today. Trevo Chalaba gets himself in a mess. manny gets in, goes round the keeper and scores. Uh, Mo Salah makes it two on 26 with an absolutely sensational goal. Brilliant ball by Trent into the box. Rudiger, who had pressed Salah, who had Salah had the ball originally. Rudiger pressed him. Salah gave the ball, I think, to Fabinho. Fabinho gave it to Salah, or to, to Trent, rather. Salah spun and ran behind. And Rudiger seemed to stay behind to hold hands with Kovacic. Uh, Salah runs through. Nobody close to him. Marcus Alonso tries to get back. Salah does a little shimmy. Alonso freezes. He's in. It's a goal. It's brilliant. Mo Salah the best player in the league, and there's just no way you can deny it. Um, Liverpool weren't playing well at this point. Didn't look good at this point. Had no control in midfield at this point. But following the second goal, Chelsea did sort of fall apart a little bit, and you thought Liverpool could be on to something here. But Chelsea settled themselves down. Kante and Kovacic regained control in midfield. Two against three, and it wasn't even funny. Liverpool playing two absolute liabilities in the middle of the park. Kante and Kovacic just ran the game. Kovacic made it 2-1 on 42. A sensational volley from the edge of the box. Dropping ball from a good punch by Kelleher, to be fair. Kovacic is just sensational. It's a great finish. Top corner, no question. Um, Just before the break, Christian Pulisic made it. 2-2, 2-2, two, two. Uh, that man, that Captain Marvel, Jordan Henderson, once again failing to do his job, failing to track a runner. Pulisic gets in and he finishes past Keller. Some people have asked could Van Dyke have covered across? The answer is yes, but he would have left Mason Mount wide open and Pulisic in all likelihood would have just cut it back to Mount who would have scored. So, you know, it is what it is. If Henderson has, does his job, Pulisic doesn't get in. Um, The second half was good, not great. Chelsea played well. Then Jorginho came on. They seemed to kind of lose control. Uh, Liverpool brought on Naby Keita. He improved things in midfield. Somehow they left Jordan Henderson on and brought Oxley chamberlain on for Jota. Jota didn't play well, but that substitution made no sense. And then... For the last throw of the dice, Liverpool bring on Curtis Jones, not again for Henderson, uh, for Sadio Mane, as if wanting to wrestle for t- three minutes ahead of the AFCON. <laughs> oh, it hurts. It hurts so much. I can't even. Let's move on past this game. Just If you want to hear me rant and rave, go and listen to the Daily Red over an in Anfield Index. Uh, Chelsea are second, Liverpool are third. Chelsea are 10 points behind. Manchester City, Liverpool are 11 points behind Man City. But Liverpool do have one game in hand, so there is that. Um, But the title is over. The title is over unless City have a massive capitulation. The Premier League title is over this season. City are too good to let that slip. City have dropped points in four games this season. Liverpool have dropped points in eight, and they've played a game less Manchester City and Liverpool have both taken the lead in games 17 times this season. City have won all 17. Liverpool have only won 12. Liverpool with Thiago, 8 games, 8 wins, 22 goals scored, 2 conceded, dominant. Liverpool without Thiago, no control. And half the points. Half the points per game. Nine games played, 1.55 points per game. With them, eight games played, 1.3... Uh, sorry, three. Three points per game when he starts. Coming off the bench, it's a little hit and miss. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Liverpool, Liverpool can't play with a Thiago right now. And now they're without Mane, they're without Salah. They're fortunate enough in that the games they'll miss in the league are Brentford and Palace. Games they should be able to win, even without Salah and Mane. They'll get both of them back by the time they play Leicester. They will miss both for the Cup, semi, uh, cup semi-final cup against Arsenal this weekend. But it is what it is. They knew this was going to happen. They left themselves short. They've got no one to blame. Only themselves. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll check what news there is. And there's a few days of gossip to go through. So we'll do that. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. Um, There doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of news other than the fact that obviously Thomas Tuchel dropped Lukaku from the squad at the weekend, and that's created a whole bunch of more nonsense about that whole thing. Um, Watford have had another falling out with another African country, um, this time with Senegal. Watford are 100% in the right on this one, though. So Ishmael Assar got injured, you'll remember, in November against Manchester United, a knee ligament injury. He's not fit. He has not played a game since. He's still not back in full training. And Senegal have tried to call him up for the AFCON. And Watford have said, no, you're not having him because he's injured. They've invited Senegal to come to Watford's training ground and assess him and look at the plan for the rehabilitation of Ishmael Assar and Senegal are having a big tantrum. But there's absolutely no way Ishmael Assar should be going to the AFCON. No way at all. It's... Not at all disrespectful, pernicious, or discriminatory by Watford, which is what Senegal have claimed. That is utter nonsense. He is injured. He has been injured since November. If he wasn't injured, Watford would be playing him because they're desperate to have him back. Because he's one of their best players, and they're not very good, and they desperately need him. So there is no... Discrimination, there's no disrespect. You are being stupid by calling up a player who's injured. It's as simple as that. And it seems like Senegal are trying to get some excuses lined up in case they don't do particularly well at the AFCON. Uh, Maddie Loughton was hit by a bottle that was thrown by a Leeds fan in the game at the weekend. And if you watch the Man City Arsenal game, a whole bunch of Arsenal fans through cups and bottles and stuff paper cups obviously plastic cups onto the pitch Uh, this one's a bit more dangerous though because I'm seeing this picture that bottle of coke's about half full and it hits hits him in in the head hits him in the forehead kind of bounced off him in truth Um, that could have been dangerous that could have that could have done real damage there had been a fair amount of weight on that and it was travelling. So whoever threw that needs to be found and banned from going to, to football matches from now on. I think that's about it for news. So we'll run through the gossip then and we will get out of here nice and quickly today. Uh, what have we got? Tottenham want to sign Phil Coutinho. I doubt it. Tottenham are said to offer Frank Kessie a pre-contract. That would be a good signing. Manchester United are ready to pay the 16.8 million release clause of River Plate's Julian Alvarez. Um, he's meant to be very, very talented, very highly regarded. The bits I've seen, he looks good. So he, he's linked with everybody, though. So we'll, we'll wait and see where he goes. And uh, Newcastle are closing in on a deal for Kieran Trippier. Uh, He played yesterday for Atletico Madrid, so, you know, we'll wait and see. Uh, Sven Botman is Newcastle's top defensive target in the January transfer window. But given Kieran Trippier is a right-back, and that's a defensive position, I don't think Botman is the top target, but he might be the top centre-back target. I don't think they'll get Botman. Uh, Real Madrid are aiming to sign Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland. I've been saying that for a year. Chelsea will offer Antonio Rudiger a higher weekly wage. Than any other blues player. Antonio Rudiger is not that good. Like, he's good, he's not great. That would be mind blowing. Rudiger wants a signing on bonus of more than 16 million to run down his contract and sign for Real Madrid. Well, look, if he's signing for 320,000 sterling a week, That's 16 million a year, give or take. And that that would mean a 16 million signing bonus is about right. Because generally, on a Bosman, the signing bonus is one year salary. Um, 320,000 a week would be 380,000 euro a week, which is in and around the 400,000 mark that has been mentioned for him. So, yeah, I could I could see that being through. If, if Imagine giving him that kind of money. Tottenham remain interested in uh, Adama Traore, says the spoofer. Arsenal are to hold talks with England midfielder Ainsley Maitland-Niles over his future at the club. Players also wanted by Everton and Roma. I think it's time for him to get out of there. City Manchester City are prepared to, leave, to let Jordan Braff leave the club in January. He he's super talented. Super talented. Someone's going to get a really good player there. Sunderland are close to a deal for Manchester City winger Patrick Roberts. I don't understand how Patrick Roberts is still contracted to Manchester City. That is That is one of the examples of why a young player should never move to a club like City. Like When he was coming through at Fulham, he was one of the brightest young prospects in English football. And now he's an afterthought, basically. I mean, Fulham to Man City. Since joining City, he's gone to Celtic on loan. Celtic on loan again. Girona on loan. Norwich on loan. Middlesbrough on loan. Middlesbrough again on loan. Derby on loan. And now Troy's on loan. And now he's set to go to Sunderland on loan. His contract is up in the summer. Uh, Some club will sign him because he is a very talented player. He's probably more a championship-caliber player at this point. Needs to rebuild himself, but... Someone will take a chance on him, and I think they're going to get a really good player, but he is he's an example of why it's not always good for young players to make an early jump to a big club like he joined city in two thousand and fifteen when he was eighteen years of age, and it has been a disaster for him an absolute disaster um moving on Newcastle have contacted Arsenal with a loan proposal for Pierre emerick Aubameyang for the rest of the season with a view to a £20 million move. So I assume it's a loan with an option and obligation to buy. He's a way off to the AFCON now, so that's gonna delay things. But I don't think that's a bad move for Newcastle to get him on loan. I I don't know if I'd want to keep him. But he'll certainly get you some goals. Even in this bad dip that he's in he's still scoring one and three over the last 18 months before that he was a machine uh the magpies have been quoted more than 50 million for darwin nunez darwin nunez is sensational he's not going to go to newcastle Uh, newcastle officials are hopeful that a deal for kieran trippier will be completed in the next few days Chelsea midfielder Conor Gallagher is a £50 target for Paris Saint-Germain. I would bet you everything I have that he's not. Everton have been offered Barcelona and Brazil playmaker Phil Coutinho. Everybody has been offered Barcelona and Brazil playmaker Phil Coutinho. Arsenal are interested in signing Aston Villa and Brazil midfielder Douglas Luiz. I thought Stan Collymore... Was way out of line with what he said about Douglas Luiz. Uh, and even funnier was what he said about John McGinn. Uh, if John McGinn was so good. He wouldn't look like he fits in at Villa. John McGinn doesn't stand out for Villa. You don't watch Villa play and think. God John McGinn is miles better than everybody else here. He's just a good player in the Villa team. But he doesn't look like he's a level above everybody else. Um Anwar al Ghazi is a trans is a target for West Ham. Okay. Uh, Axel Tonzebee conflict between Netherlands midfielder Donny van de Beek and his former agent means he is unlikely to be able to leave. I don't think his agent stops him from moving. That's nonsense. Uh Bayer Leverkusen want to sign Eddie Nketiah who will be a free transfer in the summer. Someone's going to get a good player there. Leicester are interested in Ghana defender Abdul Mouman from Vittor- Vittoria Gomerge. Don't know anything about him. Uh, Erling Haaland has told fans he will play in Spain in the future. I mean, that that means very little. He could just sign for a club who plays against a Spanish club in the Champions League that he's played in Spain. Did find it very amusing that um, Jean Laporte, the... Uh, president of Barcelona, came out with his big, you know, chest-beating, we're back, baby, kind of nonsense. Uh, They can't even afford yet to register Ferran Torres. They've signed him. They're stuck with him. They can't register him. So, yeah, you're back, but not very far. Uh, Leeds, English right-back Cody Drama is in talk with Nottingham Forest over a loan move. Be an odd one, considering... Jed Spence is staying the second half of the season and is better than Cody Drama. Um, and considering Leeds are riddled with injuries, so they might need him. Manchester United and Liverpool are both interested in Charlie Cresswell of Leeds, young defender, maybe. Liverpool will sign a forward in the January transfer window if the opportunity for a long-term player investment comes along. So this is from the Anfield Watch, which is not really from them. They've quoted somebody else as saying it. Um, I think it was David Lynch. I could be wrong. could be Neil Jones either. Either way, I I have no faith in them to do anything. Mario Riccardi is expected to join Juventus on a six-month loan with an option to buy. That's from Pedro Almeida. Pedro Almeida is a Portuguese individual who claims to be a transfer expert. Um, He is a, a rip-off of the the spoofer. Him and that Nico Shearer fella, they're both spoofers. Absolute spoofers. So pay no attention. There have been other reports about Icardi going to Juventus with Maratha set to go to Barcelona. So maybe it's true, but he's not the one breaking that news. Watford have plans to buy Nice and Ivory Coast left back Hassan Kamara and Upen and Dior Congo midfielder Edo Gayamba for 4 million each. Saw this, Adam Leventhal, I think, had the story, which was he's always reliable for Watford. Don't know if he's obviously D- Democratic Republic Congo not at the AFCON, so Kayamba could play. They do need help there. I haven't checked the Ivory Coast squad, so I don't know if Kamara's in it, uh, but they do need help. A left back centre back has to be next, lads. Centre back is the biggest need Norwich or Watford have had, rather, in about seven years. Me and Kevin DeVries have been doing transfer window recap pods for probably about seven years. And every time Watford have been in the Premier League and we've talked about Watford, we have said they could really use a centre-back. So, you know. Uh, on to the last day's worth then. Romelu Lukaku is unhappy at, Tottenham, at Chelsea and could try and force a reunion with Antonio Conte at Tottenham. Harry Kane for Lukaku swap? Who says no? Barcelona could offer Usman Dembele to Manchester United in a swap deal for Anthony Martial. There would have to be a lot of cash going to United as well, because Dembele's had a contract in six months. Martial has years left. United's hopes of signing Declan Rice is said to be boosted by the London club's recent form. Ah, garbage. Newcastle want to make as many as six signings in January. That might be too many. Tanguy and Dembele is a possible transfer target for Roma. He and Mourinho hated each other. Tottenham and West Ham are among the clubs interested in Adama. Doubtful. Liverpool and AC Milan are interested in Agabou Camera. It's been said before. He needs to stay at Olympiacos and keep developing. Uh, Sven Botman is set to reject Newcastle because he doesn't want to get relegated. Aston Villa are the latest club to be linked with. Dennis Sicaria, who's also wanted by Liverpool, Leicester, Arsenal and Everton. Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti has suggested the Spanish club will wait until the summer to sign Kylian Mbappe. Everybody has known this. It's not news. Brazilian keeper Neto has told Barcelona he wants to leave and requested they take up Flamingo's offer to sign him. They should do because, number one, he's not very good. And, number two, they need to free up some money to get Ferran Torres in. And, finally, Welsh left-back Neil Taylor is a transfer target for several January clubs after impressing on a short term deal at Middlesbrough. I would have thought Middlesbrough would want to keep him uh, because he is doing very well for them. He's on contract there till the middle of January. I'd imagine Burda will want to keep him. I mean, he's done pretty well. I'd imagine Burrow will want to keep him. Anyway, that's me then. That's the show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, To the person who said I need a second person on with me, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Do I? Possibly. It'll just be me talking over them, though. So I'm probably best by myself. (laughs) Not to be big-headed. I don't think people understand how difficult it is to do this by yourself for an hour every single day. I really don't. It's easy to do a podcast with one other person. Really easy. To do one by yourself for an hour every day is very difficult. And I don't know if I'm good at it or not, but I do it. And I have done it now for nearly a year and a half. 351 episodes. So, you know, must be doing okay. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, ah, ah. actually, I won't see you tomorrow. I am getting vaccine boosted tomorrow so i will not be here so i will be back on wednesday so don't do anything silly tomorrow premier league no madness please i'll be back wednesday and i'll see you then bye -bye. Podcast Network.